Thanks so much for joining us today for CCL's Big Ted Climate Talks. This is a conversation that happens quarterly as a series that spotlights leaders in the climate community throughout the larger country. At CCL, we know solving climate change requires a variety of policies and perspectives, and that's why we do this work under a big tent that includes folks from the right and the left and every spot in between. And in our Big Tent Climate Talk episodes, we'll talk to a wide variety of climate leaders outside of CCL to learn more about how we can all do this work better together. Uh, for those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Brett Cease. I'm the Senior Director of Education and Engagement here with CCL. And I am honored today to be here with Shannon Siegel, the Organizing Director of the Environmental Voter Project. A couple of quick ground rules before we jump in and introduce Shannon. Uh, we want to make sure that all CCLers are invited to participate in today's Q&A. We'll make sure to save a lot of time at the bottom of the hour for those questions for the last 15 minutes of our conversation with Shannon today. Um, as CCLers, we love our focus and what we're advocating for, and we're also open-minded. So for today, we really invite people to lean in and learn from each other about the work that's being done with our wonderful partner group, Environmental Voter Project, and how we can all get the job done together to make sure that strong and significant uh, climate legislation is passed on the federal as well as state levels in the year ahead. So with that, let me introduce today's guest and a little bit more about Shannon, and then we'll start the conversation here. Uh, Shannon Siegel is a former Environmental Voter Project intern and a graduate of Mount Holyoke College with a BA in Environmental Studies and Spanish. Shannon has years of experience organizing intersectional coalitions for climate justice and fossil fuel divestment and has led the multi-stakeholder effort to create and adopt Mount Holyoke's first sustainability plan, an ambitious carbon neutrality goal. Shannon has researched and implemented a number of community-based projects in Costa Rica and has experience in sustainability planning, environmental education, and grassroots coalition building. So we are incredibly grateful to have you on here today, Shannon, especially since your organization has been absolutely critical in helping shift the dial and getting environmentalists to the polls to realize their voice and their vote does matter in shaping policy outcomes that we want to see with strong climate policy. And with that said, let's transition into our conversation so that I can stop doing all the talking. So again, as a reminder for everyone, feel free if you're joining us with YouTube or on Zoom, uh, start putting any questions you have in the Q&A box in particular. Uh, for this first half hour, I'll jump in with some of the questions that we have for Shannon, and then we'll make sure to transition to all of your questions if we haven't gotten to them yet by the bottom of the hour. So before anything else, Shannon, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about the background behind you know, the why of why Environmental Voter Project was founded and what its focus is. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brett. And thank you to all of you who are here. And I'm going to say from the top, we've got a lot to get through today. I could talk about the why of EVP for hours and hours. So please forgive me if I'm leaving anything out. I'm happy to, to dig in in the Q&A. But really speaking specifically, the Environmental Voter Project exists to fill a very specific niche in the climate and environmental movement. And I wanna say that off the top. There are so many other organizations that we're in community with, including CCL, including many other groups that you are involved in. And we really see ourselves as partners in that. We're not trying to replicate other groups' efforts. We're not trying to do um, things that we're not very good at. We do one thing and we do it, what I think uh, is very, very well. So we exist because as many of you know, polling data has shown over the years that more and more Americans are caring about climate change. They're concerned about climate change. But again, as I don't need to tell this audience, that's not necessarily translating over into policy legislation and elected officials. 
When we dug into the data at EBP, we actually saw a gap. We saw that there was a lot of Americans who were registered to vote, who care a lot about climate change, but who were just sitting out far too many of their elections. In a midterm year, our, our estimates are that that's up to about 13 million environmentalists who can vote, but don't. So EVP exists because we found a good way to get people who are already on our side to start doing the thing that we need them to do. So we get folks that we know care about climate change and the environment. We know that they're eligible to vote and we just use behavior and science, behavioral science informed messaging to get those folks to vote and to vote more consistently. So that way, once we get folks in office, once we have um, people who are voted in, they're gonna have to be more accountable to these climate and environmental uh, supporters who are gonna decide, do these people stay in office or are they gonna get replaced? So that's why we do what we do. Well, we absolutely have loved working with Environmental Voter Project. There are so many stories of success and engagement and the cross-pollination between CCL chapters and EVP initiatives across states. And what I would love to dive into, just given that why behind your organization, Shannon, is what are some of the specific projects or areas of focus that we can specifically help out with for 2022 and how can we best uh, plug into those? Absolutely. So what we see at EVP is that we do voter contact every single year. We mobilize voters for local, state, and federal elections to get people who can vote to vote more consistently. The midterms, though, are one of our best opportunities to talk to these voters, because in many cases, we're talking to people who see themselves as voters. They care about climate, and they vote in every presidential election, for example. Or they care about climate, and maybe they vote in local elections, but they don't ever vote in statewide or federal elections. So midterms give us this really particular opportunity to mobilize a constituency of people who are sometimes voting, but we want them to vote more. We don't want them to just vote every four years. So I really encourage all of you to get involved now and to get involved early. We don't wanna wait until October, right? We don't wanna wait until September to get folks out to the polls. So what we're going to be focusing on over these next few months is contacting voters across all 17 states that we're active in, and uh, I can list those off, they can be on our website too, to make sure that we're not only contacting them for these uh, November elections, that we're talking to them right now ahead of local elections, ahead of special elections, and of course, ahead of the primaries. So that's gonna be our focus in 2022 is fantastic opportunities to layer times that we talk to voters. We know we have the best impact when we can talk to a voter multiple times in the same year. So I really encourage you all to get involved now and help us talk to these voters ahead of any locals they have, ahead of the primaries, so that when we're talking to them for a general, we're already most of the way there. Um, I'd love to just ask a little bit more about your own background. I know we heard about it in the biography uh, section here with Shannon, but can you tell us a little bit more about how you personally got involved in the climate movement and how you see that intersecting with your work today, specifically um, as the organizing director at EVP? Absolutely. So. Um, I really started caring more deeply about climate and the environment, you know, as I became a young adult, as I was a teenager, and I started looking around and essentially saying, oh man, there's a lot of stuff that needs work, right? And many of us probably have this moment um, as we get older, we look around and we say, there's so many problems 
how, what should I do to try to fix them or to make a dent, right? So I thought I care deeply about so many issues, racial justice, gender justice, um, migration issues, economic justice, healthcare, it's a little bit overwhelming, right? Um, so I, as I thought more deeply, I thought, what's at the root of a lot of these issues? How can I essentially have a domino effect with the work that I do? And I'm sure as many of you know, climate is really at the root of so many of these issues, climate and environmental injustices. I, I decided, okay, how can I do the most, uh, have the biggest impact on all these issues I care about while still being focused? And, and I realized that if I can make sure that more people have a healthy and livable place to, to live, then all these other issues are gonna be a little bit easier to tackle. So um, I have, have come at that in a few different ways uh, since that you know, moment as a teenager doing, as Brett mentioned, uh, some divestment work, climate organizing. I did a little bit of natural sciences um, in the rainforest, all of that was fun. But I just found that I was most excited when I could help get other people on board. That same idea of how can I do the most? Well, it's by training other people and bringing other people into this movement so that you all can make a difference as well. So that's how I came into organizing. I, you know, sadly for me, maybe as a, as a teenager, the natural sciences aren't, aren't really for me. They're important, not, not what I'm best at. So I found that I could use those skills that I like to make a big difference with, with organizing and in the climate movement. Well, we love that. We, we love that. Reminds me a lot of the How to Save a Planet podcast overlapping yes. then, uh, diagrams that we're a big fan of too, of really identifying mm -hmm. your passion, your skill sets, and where the world's needs are intersecting the most. So. Yes. Check out Dr. Johnson if y'all haven't already. Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson's doing great with those Venn diagrams. Yeah, we'll definitely put a link in the chat, especially uh, to that as well. Um, so let's ask this question then too. So circling back to what you mentioned just about the campaigns that EVP is focusing on for midterms, um, can you walk us through a little bit? You've done so many of these trainings, I know. What's it like to be trained for a phone banking effort? You know, how does that look when people sign up for it? How can groups get more involved as CCLers? Just kind of walk us through the actual experience of that on the ground level. Yes. Um, what the first thing I want to say is, and you don't just have to take my word for it, look up the many articles and whatnot that CCL groups have, have published about working on EVP phone banks. The first thing I wanna say is it's not hard. We all get those little butterflies when you go to call someone uh, that you don't know making a cold call. And that's not a bad thing. That means you care. That means you care about who's on the other side of the line, right? So I think the first thing is realizing that you can do this. You can talk to a voter on the phone. Um, and you can really make a difference in whether someone votes or doesn't vote. So what that actually looks like is the first thing that you'll do is you will sign up for a training. Everything is on Zoom. So it's okay if, if you live anywhere in the country, you can connect to voters um, wherever we're talking to a voter. So you don't have to be on the ground there. Once you join the Zoom, we are going to have a trainer on the call who's going to walk you through every single step of the phone making process and is going to stay on Zoom with you once you start making calls. So that if you have a question in the moment, you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to answer this voter's question. You can just ask real time. Um, so we're never leaving you by yourself. So we use this software called Hub Dialer, which allows us to make calls really, really quickly and for only live people to get connected to you. So you don't have to dial any phone numbers. 
voters will not see your phone number. They're going to see the Environmental Voter Project's phone number um, and will provide you with a full script with everything that you need to inform a voter how to vote and how to do so in a way that we know is most effective at getting that person to end up voting. So Hub Dialer will connect you directly with the voters. You're going to look at that on your computer screen or your tablet while you talk to voters through your phone. Any phone number is fine, anywhere you can make an outgoing call. Most of our phone banks are about an hour and a half, so that gives you, you know, 20 to 40 minutes of training, depending on how much uh, walkthrough you need. We are there for as long as you need. And then a good chunk of time to actually make those phone calls to voters, inform them about their election. And then importantly, at the end of any phone bank, we always do a debrief. So everyone comes back, you get to connect with your fellow volunteers and say, you know, I talked to someone today who um, is homebound and hasn't been able to vote in the last six elections, and I got to tell them how they can get a ballot in the mail. On the flip side, you can say, I really had a tough conversation. Someone was kind of rude to me. Um, and you have your fellow volunteers there to provide their own insight, provide tips. So we really do try to make it approachable. You're never going to be convincing anyone to do anything. So it tends to be a little easier than partisan or candidate-based persuasion calls. All you're gonna be doing is telling voters about how they can vote in their upcoming election. So hopefully we make it as simple as possible um, when you choose to talk to voters with us. That's a great run through. And I've just put a link in the chat too, if people are interested uh, specifically on including this in your own Earth Month and tabling outreach events, we have a wonderful resource uh, that uh, our marketing team has just put together uh, that includes a handout with the QR code or the short link if people wanna get more involved for Environmental Voter Project. When you're registering for events, you can notate you found out about EVP through the Citizens Climate Lobby Connection. I know uh, the Shannon and Environmental Voter Project like that, uh, but this is a great way for you to be able to specifically table and urge environmentalists to show up to vote, uh, intersecting between CCL and EVP's work. Um, is there anything that you would recommend given, you know, even like an exchange like this with a handout and, you know, tabling opportunity, what's kind of your pitch or one way that you would recommend as people are kind of sharing about the mission of EVP in their own work and their own outreach to engage other volunteers to pull them in? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I would say is many of us think about all these elections in all these other states and you say, how can I help voters turn out in Florida when I live in Massachusetts? Um, so what we do at EVP is we're always talking to voters in the most opportune time. So we talk to voters when they can take an action, right? So that can they request a ballot already? Can they vote early already? So when you uh, are thinking about getting other folks engaged with us, you can know that number one, we're gonna be talking to voters about something they can do today, something they can jump on and you're gonna be able to be the person to walk them through that, walk them through the website, walk them through the phone number. Um, and two, after the election, once we get the voter file data in, we will report back to you how many of those voters we talked to as a group actually turned out and voted. And we do what's called randomized control trials. Um, so we set aside a control group and a treatment group. So the treatments, the people who we do talk to, and then we see what type of impact our calls uh, and other voter contact interventions had. So if you're thinking about all the different ways that you can get involved this year, there's a lot. There's a lot of options for you and I hope that you pick whichever one works best for you. But um, working with EVP, you can be confident that we're gonna take a really data informed um, standpoint and stay accountable to you 
what worked, what didn't work. Sometimes that stuff doesn't work. And we're going to make sure that we tell you um, so that you really have a chance to decide how you want to move forward. I love it. Let's just pivot a little bit more. So Environmental Voter Project is obviously focused on state level policy, local level, municipal elections, as well as you've been highlighting right now, the national scene for climate legislation feels very uncertain for a whole host of reasons. Um, that certainly applies to you know, the shared work that we're doing to try to get climate legislation to pass on any level. Um, so I just was wondering if you could step back for a moment to just describe how you organize, uh, how Environmental Voter Project, your organization, you know, sees this moment in time, uh, what you're doing right now to leverage as much support and, you know, grassroots power as you can to make sure that strong climate legislation does pass this session, and any other words of wisdom you might have for our membership tuning in to listen live or later on in the recording. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really in a moment, right? I think we all need to take a second to recognize that we're having unprecedented after unprecedented after unprecedented. So it's normal to feel really overwhelmed by what's going on. It's normal to say, how are we going to fix this? Um, one of the things that I feel most fulfilled by working with EVP on is that we are taking a really long-term approach. That can be frustrating at times when you're looking for that instant result. Um, but we take a long-term approach in the sense that we are not only focusing on one race or on one candidate or even on one specific um, election. Instead, we are working on getting more climate voters into the regular voting base so that anytime anyone runs for office, anytime someone is elected and says, how do my constituents want me to vote on this issue? they're gonna be polling the people who are likely voters. They, they only talk to the people that are gonna keep them in office or kick them out of office, right? So something that, that I continue to feel renewed by is the understanding that if we can add more climate voters to the electorate, climate leaders will follow. Even people that might not otherwise be a climate leader, maybe they don't actually care that much about climate change. If voters are holding them accountable, we're gonna see more climate leadership because Folks want to stay in office. They want to keep their jobs, right? So I, I really enjoy this work because I feel like it's a bit of a salve um, for individuals that maybe let us down or people who we get into office who don't end up doing what we want them to do. Because I just feel like we keep building this base. We keep building this base. Um, and environmental and climate supporters are, are soon going to be at a tipping point that they can't be ignored. Um, and that everyone on any side of the political spectrum is going to have to start caring about climate. And my hope, my belief is that we are gonna see action in return. Here's to that. I, I think that is so resonant with the work that we're doing both on the short and the long-term vision. And I know that we've had Nathaniel, uh, Environmental Voter Project's executive director and founder um, on CCL's monthly meetings in the past. And I really do appreciate that emphasis on the importance of showing up to the polls, not only in having your opinion and the policies expressed that you prefer in that election, but even being consulted again in future elections, realizing that that pool of likely voters is actually who's looked to and is the policy setters for those future election sets then as well. Um, before we go to the uh, phones here, Shannon, I'm just curious, you know, on your end, is there anything that I haven't asked yet that you'd like to share with CCLers that are tuning in, that are listening to the recording later, any inspirational stories or you know, fun anecdotes, you name it. Uh, the floor is yours to kind of share anything else I haven't asked. Absolutely. So I don't play favorites with volunteers. I love all of our volunteers. I hope all of you future volunteers, if you're not already, 
That being said, I want to shout out that Citizens Climate Lobby volunteers, y'all are on another level. Um, you are consistent, you show up, you are organized, and I continue to just be so impressed. Um, I started EVP in 2020. Many of our like EVP volunteer leaders who are leading phone banks on during GOTV were CCL volunteers, right? And of course they became EVP volunteers too, but they continued to engage that CCL community that you all have. Um, you know, we had the folks in LA, we had folks in, in the Atlanta metro area, we have folks over here in Massachusetts and uh, Austin, Texas. I'm definitely leaving out so many of you, I could keep going all day, but um, I really want to shout out that you have a strong community within your CCL chapters and within CCL National. You can keep that. You should keep that as you think about engaging with the Environmental Voter Project. We want to provide you opportunities that you can phone bank with your chapter. Um, Alameda, California chapter just reached out to us to ask if we can add some things later in the evening so that West Coast people have more options. And we want to make that happen. So don't be shy. Don't think that you have to choose between EVP or CCL work. We want those things to be able to happen together because we don't need to duplicate effort, right? We can really work together um, to have that shared impact. So I, I want to say a preemptive uh, thank you for what we're all going to do together in 2022, but also just everything that CCL folks as, as coordinated groups um, have done to support EVP and obviously to support the broader climate movement um, as these elections come up. Yeah, round of applause to all of you. Here's to that. To yeah, there are so many, so many CCL stories that I've loved hearing throughout the years. And um, I know that we feel the exact same way about EVP here, Shannon. So uh, let's go to the phones. We've got some great questions coming in both in the chat and the q and I'll try to keep up with both, but a reminder, especially if you do want to flag questions to click on that little Q&A box, um, that's going to get to the top of the stack here. Um, so this one's coming in from Gerda, who asks, I know EVP uses algorithms to identify climate voters. Can you talk a little bit more about what types of attributes that algorithm looks for? Uh, and the context behind this is that Gerda is having a postcarding party tonight uh, for EVP. Shout out to that wonderful way of reaching out and wants to make sure that uh, Gerda can help guests trust what they are doing. Absolutely. And I apologize in advance. It's going to be a nerdy couple minutes ahead where I tell you about these algorithms. And again, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer deeper questions and in more detail if folks have them. But essentially, something that's most important to know about how we identify a climate voter is that we are going off of people that self-identify as caring the most about climate change in the environment. So I am not sitting in an office saying, you know, if you care about clean water, you count. If you care about, you know, agricultural sustainability, you don't count. That is not at all what we're doing. We start by working with uh, data analytics professionals to do huge polls in all of the states that we're active in. Those polls ask voters, registered voters, simple questions. The, the most indicative one tends to be, here's the top 15 issues in the country now what is most important to you when you vote? Really specific. We got 15 issues, you know, uh, healthcare, the economy, immigration, climate and the environment, you know, all those issues that you see in every poll. Then we watch the responses come in and then we look at the people who said climate change and the environment in all 17 of our states. That provides us with a list of people who are registered to vote 
care a lot about climate and the environment. We then put those people and we look um, at data points that are on the voter file. So there's publicly available consumer and behavioral data points that are appended to every voter in the voter file. Those are the same types of data points that like insurance companies use to give quotes that um, you know, advertising agencies use to send you those targeted ads, those types of points so that we can basically get a map of people who are registered to vote and care a lot about climate and the environment. And that's gonna allow us to basically see a, a trend. You know, what are these commonalities of these people that say climate change and the environment? That's gonna allow us to then make a model that can be applied to any person who's a registered voter, even if they didn't answer our poll. So we can say with a high degree of confidence, you know, what are, who are the people that are super likely to care a lot about climate and the environment? And then that's how we build out our model. We take those people that um, are really likely to care about climate and the environment, they're registered to vote. And then we go into the voter file and we're only looking at what are called low propensity voters. So people that don't vote consistently. Um, I can talk a little bit about some of the specific attributes, but I wanna be clear, correlation and causation are very different. Um, the, these data points are strange. Um, so one thing that always stands out that I think is hysterical um, is that if you have an AOL email address, you are way more likely in this model to be one of our top climate voters. Do I think that having an AOL email address causes someone to have an, an AOL email or care about climate? No, but those are highly correlated points. Um, other things include people who are in the forestry industry, um, people who drive electric cars. You know, some of those maybe make a little bit more sense, but we're not saying if you drive an electric car, you care about climate. We're just looking at where these data points point us in order to make our own uh, model to identify voters. That is incredibly helpful, Shannon. Thanks so much for clarifying that for uh, Gerda's question. And I, I believe Michael actually has one here that is somewhat related here. Um, so feel free to build on this, but it's really, Michael's asking, can you outline how you identify the people you're targeting to call from the EVP and the outcome that you're seeking from that identification as well. Yeah, so so the outcome, that's, that's a great point. Um, so we are calling voters who, again, we are really confident, care a lot about climate. We know that they're registered to vote and we know that they don't vote in midterm elections. So that's what we, we call them about. We use the best data informed uh, messaging, which surprising to all of us is not super rational. Voting is not a rational behavior, particularly when we're talking about these unlikely voters. So we use simple things called social pressure messaging, um, largely, that says, you know, uh, turnout's going to be really high in this election. Can I count on you to vote? Wow, it sounds like all your neighbors are voting in this election. Will you be turning out to vote? Um, basic, simple messaging like that, like the you don't want to feel left out as the kid on the playground, is what gets a voter to vote. So we don't talk to them about policies, parties, issues. We don't even bring up climate because that's actually shown not to be effective with this constituency of voters. So what we consider success after an election is that, again, we always set aside a control group of voters who we don't contact. So we don't reach them at all, even though they're similar, unlikely to vote environmentalists. And after the election, we look at who turned out and voted in that election. And we measure how many people turned out from the control group and how many people turned out who we did contact. That allows us then to look with a statistically significant level of confidence to say, okay, 
you know, we saw a 2% increase in turnout over our control, 4% increase in turnout, a 0.9% increase in turnout that we are very confident was specifically a result of EVP's voter contact because we have a control group that's going to allow us to make sure that we don't take credit for other organizations work or, or if it was raining on election day or any other random point. Um, so anytime that we talk to voters, we feel like it's a success. Volunteers can, if, can speak to that on an individual level that when you talk to someone who's grateful for the information, that's a success, whether we can measure it or not. That being said, those successes that we're um, you know, publishing and looking for are the ones where we can say with a really strong level of confidence that we've added people to the electorate. Um, and that's always what we're looking at. It's harder to measure that long-term piece of like, okay, how many climate folks were elected that wouldn't have otherwise been elected. We're never gonna be able to measure that with a statistical level of confidence, but it's still important. It's still the type of thing that we're looking at um, as, as a long-term success metric. I love that. I mean, that green nudge or a social pressure theory obviously is such a huge influence across any environmental policy. I know it's been really successful with energy usage uh, with Bill's you know, statements comparing to yep. your neighbor's usage too. So You use 150% of what your neighbor uses for energy. Same type of stuff. I bet it makes you feel bad when you're doing poorly and it makes you feel like you want to keep going when you see that you only use three quarters of the energy as your neighbor. You say, oh, can I get it to 50%? Um, we're all we're all competitive creatures, um, whether we believe it or not. <laughs> well, way to leverage that, obviously, to the advantage of making sure environmentals turn out. And um, speaking of polls here, we do have a couple of questions, um, you know, even teasing out what you've just shared about polled individuals. We actually are running our own poll right now. So for those that are attending on Zoom, we've got about uh, two thirds that have uh, turned out here to give your feedback. We'd love to just hear um, specifically, if you've heard about EVP before today or not, and then how likely you are to try out one of our campaigns uh, that we've been talking about with EVP after today. Um, so feel free to finish up your response to those two quick questions. Um, but here's a question from Ray Shannon. Are these polled individuals that you're describing actually personally identified, or is it still kind of aggregate or de-identified information? Yeah, great question. So because we are matching records to the voter file, um, so two very specific individuals in the voter file. We have a list of every person that we've identified in one of our states by name and by street address. Um, so we're talking very, very specifically to very specific voters. And if any of you have canvassed with the Environmental Voter Project, you can, you can see that very specifically. You might have two people in one household and then your next household might be four houses down um, because we're only sending you to those specifically identified people again by name and street address where they're registered to vote. Yeah, this is really helpful. Uh, George has got a great question here, specifically about Alaska, given how unique the current um, election is to replace Congressman Young's uh, term. Sounds like there's 48 candidates in the open primary. Uh, it's gonna be really hard to vote for since we obviously have to get to four candidates, George writes. Is EVP working on that unique election? Wow, that almost, that almost felt like a leading question, George. I feel like you primed me to tell everyone, yes, we're talking to voters, not election. We um, started developing a plan as soon as we knew that there was going to be that really strange election that probably is gonna go to a few different runoffs, um, at least one runoff before the Alaska state primary. So yes, we're going to be talking to voters. Um, I know you, you can probably see my reflection. I, I can actually tell you in a minute or two exactly when we're gonna start talking to those voters. We have that campaign planned. 
and we're going to be uh, hosting phone banks to call voters in Alaska. And again, I'm, I guess I'll, I'll add into that's one of those weirdly specific and perfect opportunities for us to talk to voters there because it's a pri it, it's a going to be a first a primary, then we're probably going to have a runoff, and then you're going to have the statewide uh, midterm primary, and then you're going to have the general election. So there's some voters that we'll be able to talk to more than four times for four different elections um, this year. So it's going to allow us to also get a little bit of a leg up before people have some of that voter fatigue right before an election. We're going to talk to them early and we're going to layer those levels of contact so that maybe you don't care that much about this particular election in Alaska, but you care about Alaska's performance in the midterms. Start with this weird small election now um, and, and we'll help you get there. Kind of build those muscles up. I love that, electorally speaking, at least. Uh, we've got a Q&A a Q &A here uh, from Ashreeth uh, specifically about mission. So CCL's mission is to create the political will for a livable world through empowering individuals to experience their personal and political breakthroughs and exercising that power. Um, I put a link in the chat to the About Us page uh, for EVP, uh, but I'm just curious, you know, if you had to summarize the mission of Environmental Voter Project, is there a mission statement? Is there a story that you always tell? How do you answer that kind of a question, Shannon? Yeah, great question. And I will say you can find this in probably the best, most specific words on our website. Um, so excuse me if I don't get it quite on the dot. Um, but yes, our mission is to mobilize what we consider inactive environmentalists into becoming active voters who vote not only in the big elections, but in every single local, state, and federal election. That is our mission. Um, and it's very, very important to us that we stay on mission. That's why you might see us saying, nope, we are, we're not gonna talk to voters in this state or we're not gonna do um, this other thing that's really important. We're solely focused on people that are already registered to vote, strong environmentalists and turning them into consistent super voters. Well, I just put in the chat, I know that you were sharing this right at the top before everyone tuned in here that you just crossed in your most recent report, the 1 million mark in achieving yeah. that non-voting and seldom voting environmentalists that EVP has helped turn into those super voters. So thank you on behalf yeah, of right. all of us. I, I might say we did it. Again, I see a lot of EVP volunteers <laughs> and, and CCL EVP volunteers. We couldn't have done that with the five staff members at EVP sitting in our offices. We wouldn't have got to a million. Um, we all did this together by talking to voters every year, all year. So yes, over a million. And I hope all of you pat yourselves in the back for it. Um, we, we really couldn't do it if it was just just a few of us. Excellent. Um, well, I have one question here from Craig that also I think is an important angle that we haven't explored here yet. And that is thanking you for nonpartisan voter activation. It's really hard, especially in our increasingly polarized times that we live in to not go partisan Craig writes. So what tips do you have for us to use to stay nonpartisan in that outreach? Absolutely. It's a fantastic question, one we get a lot. Um, the first thing that I think about when I think about why we're nonpartisan is bringing it down to what my perfect vision of the world and the American political system is. What's my perfect vision? My vision is that every single person that gets elected from school board to president is thinking about climate change and the environment and thinking about what they can do positively when they're in office. I, I, I think we all wanna see that, right? So just because in 2022, one party is, is doing more than the other, 
doesn't mean that we should only care about uh, that one party or one person who's running. Thinking long-term, I don't want climate to be a partisan issue. We at EVP don't, I know at CCL, you all don't. So we feel that it's our responsibility to be contacting voters in a way that is non-partisan because we don't want someone who might otherwise be a strong climate voter or even a strong climate candidate to be ignored by us simply because of their political party. So that's to say, of course, climate is a partisan issue in the American political system right now. We don't ignore that. Um, instead, we are just focusing on the voters, getting these climate first voters to vote and allowing them to make the decision that they feel is best about their upcoming election. So that's one of the reasons that I consistently go back and I say, yeah, I really feel like this nonpartisan approach is what's most fulfilling to me and what I think is gonna be most effective is looking down the road. I'm not looking at the 2022 political system, really. I'm looking at the 2040, the 2050 system um, that I, I really hope that we have more bipartisan and nonpartisan uh, climate work happening. And I, I suppose a tip that I will say um, on a more granular volunteer level is we know, again, because we've done the reports, we've done the studies, we've done the voter contact interventions, and we've read those of other organizations, we know that when we're talking to this particular group of low propensity voters, so people who don't vote consistently, nonpartisan messaging is simply what's most effective, right? I'll steal a line from Nathaniel that maybe some of you have heard. If we knew that talking to voters about chocolate chip cookies would get them to vote at a higher rate, we'd talk to them about chocolate chip cookies. It's that simple, right? We know that talking to these voters in a nonpartisan way is what's most effective at getting them to vote. So even from a data standpoint, that's what we're gonna do. I want these voters to vote, so I'm gonna keep doing it in a nonpartisan way. I love hearing that both kind of the mission or the values aligns with the best available data on that. That's, I think, a really helpful way for all of us in CCL to emphasize the importance of our work here too, Shannon. We've got uh, one technical question here, um, and then we've got a question just about your reading uh, stack, what you've been at the top of your stack uh, reading or listening to lately. Um, but uh, this question actually is kind of um, directed specifically at your understanding about carbon sequestration. Um, Phil is curious if you have looked at it, you know, what EVP stance on, is on it, um, you know, and whether or not um, you have any opinions to share on that. Yeah, so um, what I will say is that big picture EVP does not take any particular policy stances. Uh, I know carbon sequestration isn't necessarily policy at this moment, but we don't necessarily endorse one thing over the other. Um, of course, that being said, we want climate and environmental solutions to be at the forefront of our political system. We think these things should be um, researched and looked into and that voters should be able to be informed uh, anytime something like that is, is on the docket. So we don't have any specific stances on that, but um, are glad to hear that strong climate solutions are being talked about more amongst individuals, but also on a policy level. Excellent. Thank you for that. And uh, this is a question uh, specifically about what's at the top of your stack. What have you been reading of late or listening to for podcasts that you might recommend to others, whether it's climate related or not? <laughs> yes. Um, well, one podcast, I love that you said podcasts in addition to read because that's I'm listening to podcasts like all day long. Um, 
How to Save a Planet uh, is a fantastic, fantastic podcast. Um, and it's similarly, Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, who's one of the co-hosts of that podcast, has All We Can Save, the book, which is a series of essays. So that's book and related podcasts that I would recommend for folks if you're looking for really solution-oriented conversations um, around climate change and around the environment. I know reading the news is something that's not particularly uh, fulfilling to me. It's kind of a bummer sometimes. So I really like these um, opportunities to hear about stuff in a, in a really solution-oriented way. My other, I guess, climate and environmental recommendation, and it's also something that I keep at the top of, top of my stack, it never even goes back in the bookshelf, um, is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. If you haven't read it, you've got to read it. Um, uh, Dr. Kimmerer is a, an indigenous woman and a professor of um, you know, biology up in New York, I believe. And her book is something that I read for the first time back in 2018. It was actually assigned to me as an assigned reading for school, paragraph of it or something. And I couldn't put it down. It's from my perspective, some of the most beautifully written language, like in terms of if you're looking for nature writing, um, but it also takes a very realistic view of the world. It takes a realistic view of um, climate change, of envir the, our environmental system. And again, it's very solution oriented. So I love it because I feel like it's not something that's maybe for lack of a better word, too hopeful. It's not just, you know, we'll figure it out. And this is going to be our utopia. It's not, it's realistic. It's really taking a good, a good look at where we're at. Um, but it's, it's beautifully written and it makes you feel really hopeful. So it's something I've reread over and over and over again. Um, and there's also actually a specific podcast, the Ologies podcast, if folks have heard of that. Um, I listen to it on Spotify. And Dr. Kimmerer is interviewed on one of those Ologies episodes uh, about bryology, which is the study of mosses. And I know that sounds so exciting for everyone. So I really encourage you to read it. You will start caring about mosses as well. So some fun climate, but also lighter, you know, nature, nature reading stuff. Thank you for all of those, Shannon. We, we've been huge fans of uh, Dr. Ayanna Johnson. We had her actually as our keynote for the most recent uh, CCL conference this last November. I know she's also on your advisory board. Uh, I know that all of our um, listeners and attendees, or many of them at least, have loved listening to How to Save a Planet, and we've put both those links in the chat. And I actually disappeared because uh, Braiding Sweetgrass and uh, Dr. Kimmer is uh, writing has been a copy of mine so dog-eared, I've token it on all of my most recent uh, canoe trips myself that uh, I was gonna pull it out there as uh, another vote of uh, appreciation for that as an emphasis. Oh, Definitely good. can't recommend that enough. Mm -hmm. um, we've got one final question here, and I know we're also at time here because we try to end at the 45 minute mark, uh, but Craig uh, asked this great question. I think it's a great call to all of us to kind of think through how we can engage our own local groups. And that is how many volunteers or do you have a certain goal that you're really striving to hit for all of us to help for recruitment for your 2022 midterm efforts? Absolutely. So Craig, as I think maybe, you've, I think you've done phone banking with us in the past with Hub Dialer, and I'm not even just saying this as an organizer trying to get you all to make calls. It literally works better than more people who are using it at the same, at the same time. It's called the predictive dialer. So that means that the more people that are on, the more people it can call at the same time and connect you quicker to the voters that you're looking for. So big picture, the more the merrier. 
That being said, you can volunteer by yourself. You can make calls totally by yourself at a time that's convenient to you. Just maybe bring a book to read in between calls. But I would say we really hit over the threshold of when it's feeling really efficient with five callers. So if you want to get four of your friends to make calls, that will be more than enough for you to have a really robust calling experience. If you have 50, I will give you a silver medal. Um, but if everyone on this call recruited five people to make calls with you, you'd have a strong, efficient, and effective experience um, working with us. So I'll keep it at an attainable level. I know you all can do five. I know you know five fellow climate uh, supporters who can work with us. That is incredibly attainable. I love that. I was thinking it was going to be in the dozens here. So that, you know, hearing four plus yourself is, I think, a very realistic goal. Each of us has uh, that in our personal connections that are looking to make a difference on climate. It'll be in the hundreds if everyone on this call does do five. So think about it. You're all scalable. Um, don't yes. let your fellow volunteers down. You can all do five. Shannon, you have been so refreshing to have on. We are so lucky to have EVP in our coalition work just to highlight and spotlight the essential work that you're doing throughout the country. I've just put here as a final slide a reminder where we'll post this recording for those that missed it live that would like to share uh, with your social network, please go to our YouTube channel, check out that recording. It'll be dropping by later today. Um, you'll also be able to join CCL if you've never heard of us before after this uh, webinar or Environmental Voter Project. Both of our websites are featured right there. And then if you'd like to also find out and join our next quarter's Big Ten Climate Talk, check out that short link cclusa.org forward slash big tent. So it is such an honor to have you here, Shannon. And we are so grateful again for all of your work. We're uh, getting a great uh, plus one here in the chat. Is there any final words that you'd like to close us out with today? I just want to thank you all again. I want to encourage you to get involved early. Don't wait. Get some folks to join you. It'll be fun. I promise. It's not pulling teeth. It is fun, um, especially when you bring the CCL folks. You all always make it a party. So I'm excited to see many of you very soon. And thank you all for having me. Well, it's our honor. Thank you all so much, everyone. Keep up the great work out there. Stay safe and obviously look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.